your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter number 4. Most of you know by this time that I had to take uh, David to the hospital this morning, complaining of uh, chest pains. The EKG showed uh, that it was clear, but she's still there undergoing some tests. And uh, I'll be returning there as soon as the service is over. Matthew chapter 4 this morning. I think we all understand what uh, temptation is. There's a story told about a little boy in a grocery store that I think kind of illustrates the uh, nature of temptation. The little boy was standing near a box of, an open box of chocolate chip cookies when the grocer approached and he said, Now then, young man, what are you up to? The little boy replied, nothing. The man said, nothing? Well, it looks like to me you're trying to steal a cookie. He said, you're wrong, mister. I'm trying not to steal a cookie. (laughs) That's temptation. This morning we're going to see Jesus meet and master uh, temptation. In this story we're going to see three general kinds of temptation that our adversary is still using against us. And we're going to have to do this the primitive way this morning because since I wasn't here to give you your outline, if you want this, you're going to actually have to write this down. And it's not going to be up on the screen either unless they're really, really fast up there this morning. He's shaking his head no. By way of introduction, I want you to see with me when the the testing of Jesus came about. It says in verse 1 and 2, And then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. Well, there are two things there about the timing of this temptation that I want you to see. First, I want you to remember that the, the temptation of Jesus is intimately associated with the account of his baptism. Matthew chapter 4 records that this temptation of Jesus came directly after he was baptized. You will remember that it was there that he heard the Lord, the Father speak from heaven saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately after Jesus identified with our sin problem in his baptism, he is led into the wilderness and identifies with us in his temptation. So it's worthy of note that this temptation comes on the heels of a spiritual high. I think you're going to discover that testing will often come right after a great spiritual high point in your life. There are plenty of examples in the Bible. I could spend most of the morning giving you examples. I'll just give you one. One example of how this happened, and that One moment, Elijah is on the top of Mount Carmel. He has just defeated the 450 prophets of Baal. Yet just a a little while later, maybe just uh, moments later, we find that he is at one of the lowest points of his life, and he's actually asking God to take his life. So you need to be prepared after times of blessing that you may also 
encounter some of the greatest challenges of your life. And secondly, I want you to notice about the timing, that he came at a time of, of great physical weakness. Jesus is not eaten in 40 days. Temptations often come to us when we are in a weakened state physically or emotionally, when we are exhausted, when we are sick, when <clears throat> emotionally spent. And as we begin our study today, I think it's necessary that we understand that these temptations that Jesus faces are very, very real. C.S. Lewis made some insightful observations about temptation. He said, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. That is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it can be. Christ, because he was the only man who ever, who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows what temptation was to its fullest. The temptations of Christ had to be real in order for the consoling truth of Hebrews 4.15 to be true. It says, Therefore we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points was tempted as we are, and yet without sin. To sympathize with us, Christ had to, be, had to fully experience the devil's temptations. We're going to examine each of these three temptations this morning by observing first Satan speaking and second Jesus answering. The first temptation is very simple. Tell these stones to become bread. The temptation is to be dissatisfied with God's provision. First we see Satan speaking in verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now notice with me that Matthew says, When the tempter came. In the Christian life, we need to recognize... It is not a question if temptation comes, but a question of when it comes. And the tempter, of course, as revealed in verse 1, is Satan. Some people in our day, even professing Christians, do not believe in a real Satan. But that doesn't make him any less real. The Bible reveals that Satan, having been cast out of heaven for the sin of pride and rebellion against God, has never has ever since turned his full fury against God's creation and God's work. Now the temptation that we see this morning, the first temptation, is itself based on a legitimate need, hunger. And it is an understatement in verse 2 to say that after this long period of fasting, 40 days, Jesus was hungry. A profound understatement. The question posed by Satan is, if you are the Son of God. Now, if in the Greek is a conditional phrase. In reality, I don't believe it's a question, but an affirmation. It literally means, since you are. In view of the fact that you are the Son of God. Satan's not questioning Jesus' deity but he is challenging him to prove it. 
The first temptation would be no temptation at all if Jesus were not indeed the Son of God. It's not much of a temptation for me. How about you? Turning stones into bread. Satan is well aware that God exists, and I don't think he expends a great deal of effort trying to persuade us from a belief in God. His basic strategy is to make us believe that God can't be trusted. Satan entered into the biblical picture at creation in the form of the serpent. He said to Adam and Eve, Do you really believe that God is good? He has told you that you may eat from all of the trees except one, because he knows the moment that you eat from that tree, you will be as wise as he is. He's not your friend. He's holding out on you. Satan really never begins with a point-blank denial of the truth of God. There is usually some question that will cast doubt concerning the Scripture. If someone doubts, for example, the virgin birth, they usually don't stand up and say, Jesus Christ was not virgin born. They say something like this. Well, there are some who believe in the virgin birth, but it is not necessary for us to believe to be a Christian. They don't categorically deny it. They just say, well, you know, the word translated virgin can also be translated young maiden, and anyway, it doesn't really matter. But it does matter. It matters profoundly. The first temptation level at Jesus sounds innocent enough. You can almost sense the innocence in the devil's presentation of the temple of the temptation when he says, just, just command these stones to become bread. What's the big deal? You are the Son of God. Just do it. There's no law against turning stones into bread. It won't hurt anything. Jesus has been without food for six weeks. The temptation then is to fulfill his legitimate need in a miraculous way. The temptation is to act contrary to what he knew the will of God to be. Because he was the Son of God, he could invoke his supernatural powers. And therefore, the temptation was very real. Jesus could have done it, and he could have done it in an instant. And his hunger was screaming all the time, Do it! Do it! Do it! Satan is suggesting to Jesus that there must be something wrong with the Father's love since his beloved Son was hungry. Satan was tempting Jesus to disobey the Father's will by using his divine power for his own purposes. Now, how can we make that comparison with ourselves? Well, we can't help to but compare our own modern readiness as Christians to, to justify what we do in filling our desires with the rationalization. Well, as God's children, we deserve the best. And after all, God wants me to be happy. Heard those words before? John Piper says this about sin. Sin gets its power by persuading me to believe that I will be more happy if I follow it. The power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. Jesus' answer is in verse 4. But he answered and said unto him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
Jesus answered him, and he answered him with the word of God. The key phrase in each of his three answers are the words, It is written. He did not allow the situation or the circumstances or even the enemy to dictate the truth. The answer to all three temptations came right out of Deuteronomy. The story of God's pilgrim people coming out of bondage. When Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8.3 here, he shows us that the word of God has to be more precious to us even than food. We as Christians often brag that we are people of the word. But are we really? The question is not just how much Bible do you know, but how much of the Bible that you know are you applying to your life? It became obvious that Jesus lived by the word. In his answer, he was saying, I will not complain, neither will I take matters into my own hands. I will trust the Father and his word. Obviously, this morning, our temptation is not to turn stones into bread because the impossible does not tempt us. But the complaint behind the temptation is still very strong. The devil's ploy in this world is to make us believe that if we want something done, we need to do it ourselves. We need to not trust in God, but get with the program. We are regularly tempted to go outside the confines of God's will to satisfy our personal needs, our desires. We often promote ourselves because we believe if we don't do it, no one will. We scheme and we plan for our well-being because we assume that God does not care or maybe He does not know about our needs. The second temptation, <clears throat> just jump. Just jump. It is a demand for, the, for proof of God's love. Satan speaks first in verses 5 and 6. And then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in His hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Satan took Jesus to the point of the temple roof that overlooked the, the Kidron Valley. It's about a 450-foot drop. And whether he took him there physically or he took him there in a vision, we don't really know. But once there, he made Jesus a very tempting offer. Since he had spoken of the need to depend on God for his daily bread, Satan now suggests that if he really wants to depend on God, then jump from the temple and prove in God's prove his trust in God's providential care. Having seen Jesus defeat him already by quoting Scripture, Satan now quotes Scripture for his own purposes. But Satan misquotes the promise of God. It was all right as far as it went, but he didn't quote it all. For Jesus to have supernaturally survived a fall from the pinnacle of the temple in the full view of the people, would have been just what some people were expecting. 
and it would have immediately identified him as the Messiah. But it would have also insisted that God show his love. And it was a test of God. This would be the equivalent of saying to God, I won't believe in in you until you show it to me on my terms. Jesus answers in verse 7. Jesus said to him, "It It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus once again took Satan to the Word of God. Deuteronomy 6, 16 this time. And there is a great principle here about the the study of God's Word. Scripture is to be explained by Scripture. Jesus used Scripture to interpret Scripture. We must never take a text out of its context in such a way that it contradicts another plain text from the Word of God. Jesus understood to start His ministry in this dramatic way by jumping from the pinnacle of the temple would be completely contrary to the will of God. To do so would be to test God. And Jesus refused to take this shortcut. Now there are many subtle ways that you and I can put God to the test. We may not jump from the top of the church, but we do it in other ways. We do it when we do not put the prior put a priority on the worship of God and attendance at church. And yet we expect God to keep our children on the right path. When we do that, we're putting God to the test. We do it when we dive into a path of our own choosing. And then we cry out to God to bail us out. We do it when we try to get so close to sin... We get as close as we possibly can and not follow over the edge. God says, here's the line, and so we see how close we can get to the line. And then we're surprised when we fall, and when we do, we blame God. But it happened because we tested God. The third temptation this morning is you can have it all now and without the cross. Don't wait on God's plan. Satan speaks in verses 8 and 9. And the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Somehow, Satan showed Jesus the glories of all the kingdoms of the world. He showed him the glories of Egypt, its pyramids and its temples. He showed him the power and the splendor of Rome. He showed him every kingdom in the world. And he pledged that they would all be his if he would but bow down and worship him. I don't believe that Satan was lying when he made this promise. Luke records in Luke chapter 4 and verse 6 that Satan says, For this has been delivered to me, And I give it to whomever I wish. Since Jesus does not challenge Satan's ability to make such an offer, it must be assumed that as prince of this world, this was something that he had the power, at least temporarily, to deliver. 
this was a very real temptation. It's the same temptation the Antichrist is going to offer when he comes, and that is a political solution to the world's problems. In effect, Satan was offering Jesus a kingdom without the cross. Why go to all the trouble and all the pain to win the world when it can be handed to you on a silver platter? No suffering, no struggling, no sacrifice. But a crown without the cross would mean there would be no forgiveness for sin. Jesus answers in verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall not worship, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. We really don't have to look too far to see the application for us today. Our world teaches us to avoid pain. Take the easy way, the path of least resistance. Avoid sacrifice. Why give all your money to the church when you can spend it on a new fishing boat? So why spend the rest of your life with the same mate? Go out and find yourself someone new. After all, you only live once, and you deserve to be happy. What is the result? Well, we're living with the results. A country whose children... Lives have been destroyed because of their parents' selfishness. The one thing common in all three temptations is that they attempted to distract Jesus from his mission and to destroy his relationship with his heavenly Father. But Satan's offer was so preposterous that Jesus dismissed him with the words, Away with you, Satan. Now, I don't want you to miss the truth given in verse number 11. And then the devil left him. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 13 it says, And when the devil had ended every temptation. The temptation was ended when he carried them all to completion and every avenue of of temptation had been employed. When it says that the devil left him, the Greek is much more blunt. It said, and he he stood far off. This battle was over, but he had not given up. Margaret Thatcher, the first woman prime minister of England, stated, you may have to fight a battle more than once to win it. In fact, the remainder of Luke chapter 4 and verse 13 says, and he departed from him until an opportune time. The verse reveals the devil will always be lurking in the shadows, watching and waiting for the next vulnerable moment. Opportunity may knock only once, but temptation comes back again and again and again. When you are weak, expect a major assault. When you you resist, be ready for a different approach. And when he leaves, count on another attack. Let me close with just this application three Very simple points. Number one, we face the same battle. We face the same battle. Temptations are an expected part of the Christian experience. We may wish that we could get to the place in our lives where we'd be completely escaped them, but we cannot. God has designed them to be a part of our experience in order to teach us and train us and refine us. But God also sustains us in those temptations. 
The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 3, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. First of all, we face the same battle. Secondly, we have the same choice. We have the same choice. We have the choice of trusting God and sticking with the Word of God, or we can distrust God and try to do it the world's way. But I like what we find in the Old Testament, in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. He says, Choose ye this day whom you shall serve. And then he goes on to say, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And third, we have the same victory through the same means. We resist the temptations of Satan by turning to God's Word. The Lord demonstrated this for us each of the three times that Satan tempted him. The Apostle Paul told us that among the weapons that we are to use in our spiritual battles is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I just want to close with this thought. When it comes to temptation, there are two central lies that Satan would love us to believe. Number one, just once won't hurt. Just once won't hurt. And number two, after you've fallen, then Satan will come back and say, all right, since you've ruined your life, You are beyond God's use, and you might as well go on sinning. Those are lies out of the pit of hell that Satan would have you to believe. There's forgiveness for all those who fall. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, and thank you for what he's demonstrated to us in meeting meeting Satan head-on and defeating temptation. Lord, we recognize that each day of our life we will face temptation. Some temptations are greater than others. And the temptations that have the greatest pull in my life may not be the temptations that have the greatest pull in some other individual's life. But they're all very equally real. Father, help us to always trust in your word. Help us to know your word and be able to apply your word in our lives. Father, we pray for grace. Those times that we, are, we fall, we pray for forgiveness. There may be one here today that has never turned to you in an intimate and personal way and received the forgiveness that you offer. They've never recognized that they're a sinner and that they need to repent of their sins and turn to you and ask to be forgiven. If there is one here today in such a condition, then I pray that you'd speak to their heart. I pray that you'd help them to understand that you've already done everything on the cross of Calvary necessary for our salvation, but that we must accept what you have done for us. There may be others here this morning who know they're saved, but uh, temptation has come in their lives and they've fallen and now the devil is beating over the head with it, using it as a club in their life and, and telling them over and over and over again, well, you've messed up now and God can never use you now and you can never be what God wants you to be. And 
you might as well stay where you are. And then, Lord, I pray you'd help them to realize those are, those are lies, that you are the Father, that you stand ready to receive those who will return to you in repentance and faith. Father, whatever it is you want to speak to us about this morning, we want to turn this time over to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?